Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we join the Doctor and his companions as they face the Macra Terror. We'll be discussing each of the characters and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, on to the story recap. Episode 1. In a darkly lit grand hall, a man stealthily makes his way from a side door into the main chamber. He approaches a large TV screen that has a man's face on it, who stares at the newly arrived man impassively till he leaves. The following morning, a marching band is rehearsing a routine with several others looking on. A man only identified as Pilot appears and congratulates the band's leader Barney on another excellent routine. He wishes him luck in the upcoming festival, but their conversation is interrupted by the man who entered the room the night before, but who is now acting more crazed than previously. Pilot addresses him as Medoc and asks him to calm down before he flees from the hallway. The chief of security, Ola, enters with several guards and the pilot orders him to pursue Medoc. They chase him out into the desert outskirts of the colony. While he's avoiding the guards, Medoc sees the TARDIS land nearby and goes to investigate it. Jamie emerges from the TARDIS, brandishing a big stick, and Ben sneaks up behind him to give him a scare. Jamie reprimands him and reminds him of the creature that they saw on the scanner, but the doctor says that the stick wouldn't do much good because judging by the size of the claw that they saw, the creature it belongs to would be enormous. Polly spots Medoc sneaking up from Jamie and calls out a warning to him. Ben tackles Medoc before he can do anything and together he and Jamie subdue him. Ola and the guards soon arrive and he thanks them for returning their patient to them. He sends a guard back to the colony to tell Pilot what happened. Jamie asks where they are and the doctor guesses that they are in the future on a planet similar to Earth. Ola then invites them back to the colony so the pilot can thank them himself. In Pilot's office, Ola shows the travellers in and Pilot sends him to finish dealing with Medoc. He commends them on their bravery and the doctor asks about why the colony announcements are made via musical jingles. Pilot says that this is how they operate in the colony in order to keep everyone's spirits up. He then goes to take them for refreshments, but Jamie is weary and tells Polly to be careful. They arrive at a promenade and Barney appears and tells Pilot that the colony controller wishes to thank the travellers personally. A large TV screen is turned on and the face that Medoc saw the night before begins to speak, but its lips do not move. He welcomes them and tells the colony to treat them as honoured guests. Pilot says that he needs to get back to work and leaves Barney in control of the travellers. Barney offers him a wide list of spa and beauty treatments as well as offering the doctor's clothes to be cleaned, an offer that the doctor himself is not impressed by. Polly is taken to get her hair done and a reluctant Jamie and eager Ben are taken for massages. The doctor is taken into a machine that refurbishes his raggedy looking clothes to make them look brand new. Not being too keen on his new appearance, he enters a muscle toning machine which reverses the effects on his clothes, making him happy again. Jamie pleads with Barney to call off the girls attending him and he blushes as Polly compliments him on his new appearance. As Medoc is being led away by Ola, he addresses the crowd and tries to warn them. Questa, a friend of Medoc's, tries to get Ola to release him and asks what is wrong with Medoc. Medoc says that there is something wrong going on in the colony and talks about the creatures appearing at night. Ola silences him as an announcement comes through from the controller, informing the colonists of the party to be held in the honour of the travellers. Questa tries to get Medoc to join them but he again issues his warning to everyone. Ola moves him down along the corridor where the doctor is lying in wait for them. He tries to talk to Medoc, but Ola ushers him into a room and locks the door, preventing the doctor from following. He manages to pick the lock and tells an imprisoned Medoc that he wants to set him free. Medoc is sceptical at this, but listens as the doctor asks about the creatures he claims to have seen. Before he can answer, Medoc hears someone's coming and pushes the doctor out of the way so he can make a break for it. He pushes past Pilot and Ola, who raise an alarm, and when they discover that the doctor is the one that set Medoc free, Ola says that he must be sent to the work pitch due to his guilt. 
The others arrive, and Polly says it isn't fair to imprison him as he is unaware of their laws. Violet agrees with this, but immediately grows suspicious of the Doctor when he makes a Troy reference to Medoc escaping by crawling away. Anna says that anyone spreading rumours about the crawling creatures is sent to the hospital wing for a correction. Pilot then tells Anna to take the travellers to the labour centre so that they can learn more about the colony. As they are making their way down to the labour centre, the Doctor spots Medoc hiding in a building undergoing construction, but carries on not saying anything. The controller makes a colony-wide announcement, informing everyone about the search for Medoc. The travellers ask one of their guides what they do with the colony, and he gives very restrained answers, stating that they refine gas and use it for multiple purposes, all of which the colony depends on. Suddenly an alarm sounds and the guide is informed that two workers have been affected by gas sickness, but he says that the work needs to be done. Polly turns to address the doctor about this strange situation, but discovers that he has slipped away. He has actually doubled back to the building where he saw Milak hiding, and again questions him about the creatures that he saw. He says that they are nocturnal and move like insects. The doctor asks him about the other witnesses, but Milak says that they have all been taken to the hospital for a correction. They hear Ben calling for the doctor, and so he returns, casually playing his recorder saying that he was just having a look around. Ola tells him about the curfew will soon be in effect and everyone must be confined to whatever building that they're in, as anyone outside could be killed by Medoc. The controller makes the curfew announcement and states that the travellers will be confined to the hospitality suites. Not long after he's shown to his room, the doctor sneaks out and searches around the colony. He avoids Ola and his guard who are on patrol and have been ordered to kill on sight. He makes his way back to Medoc's hiding place. The patrols get closer and closer to the hiding spot, and the Doctor and Milak attempt to escape through a hatch in the ground. Before they can move though, Milak points out somebody entering the building site, and they see that it is one of the creatures that he was talking about, a gigantic crab-like alien. Episode 2 The Doctor tries to keep Milak quiet as he exclaims that he was right all along. Ola and his guards arrive, but he refuses to listen to any of Milak's ramblings about the creatures, which he calls the Macra. The Doctor tries to add his own testimony to Milak's, but Ola ignores him and orders the guards to search them both. Ola says that he will be taken to the pilot for judgment on all their transgressions. In his office, Pilot is dictating instructions to his secretary when he receives an emergency call from Ola. He admits Ola and the doctor and then dismisses the former to carry on with his duties while he interrogates the doctor. The doctor then tries to stay on Pilot's good side by expressing his admiration for the level of technology in the colony. Pilot sees through this flattery and tries to explain the seriousness of the situation to the doctor, but he is again interrupted by Ola, who says that Medoc wishes to make a statement. Medoc enters and rather than tell the truth of the events, he said that the doctor was attempting to make Medoc give himself up, but all interfered before he had a chance to. The doctor plays along with the lie. Pilot apologises to the doctor and lets him go, telling him that Medoc will be taken to the hospital for correction so that he can rejoin the colony. Pilot explains to a clearly sceptical doctor that the original goal of the colony was to create a peaceful existence for all living there, and sometimes force is needed to ensure the success of the goal. The doctor is then escorted back to his quarters, and after he leaves, the controller messages Pilot and informs him to give the travellers high-powered adaptation treatment so they can contribute to the work in the colony. He then signs off, and his voice registers its first sign of emotion as it hysterically insists that there is no such thing as macra. In their quarters, the travellers were asleep and are subjected to subliminal sleep treatment, which attempts to make them like the colonists. Jamie wakes up, causing the voice to stop, and he tries to wake Ben up to discuss what he heard. A semi-conscious Ben tells him to go back to sleep, as they will need to be ready to go out and help in the colony in the morning, echoing the sentiments of the subliminal message. Jamie tries to go back to sleep again, but he notices the sound of gas coming into the room, and he hears the voice again. The doctor arrives a short while later, and destroys the speaker above Polly's bed. He then instructs her to ignore everything she may have dreamed about, informing her of the messages that were being played to her. He then rushes to Ben and Jamie's room, who wake up when he enters. Ben tries to prevent the Doctor from damaging the other speakers. He starts to berate the others for supporting his actions. 
He then says he's going to report the doctor to Ola, clearly showing that he's been completely ensnared by the messages, but Jamie tries to stop him from leaving. He breaks free and rushes off to find the guards. Polly and Jamie say that they need to leave, but the doctor refuses to leave Ben. The matter is quickly resolved when Ola returns and says that he is taking the doctor into custody. Jamie tries to stand up for him, but the doctor tells him to stand down and he willingly leaves with Ola, with Jamie going as well. As they leave, Ben calls out that he needs correction at the hospital. Polly then gives out to Ben, who tells her that they deserved it, and she runs out of the room to find where the doctor and Jamie had been taken to. Ben chases after her and follows her into the building site. She tries to hide from him, but he eventually finds her. As they struggle, Polly screams as she spots one of the crab creatures in the shadows behind them. Ben's brainwashing refuses to let him acknowledge the creature initially, but he seems to snap out of it when the creature grabs Polly and tries to pull her away. He uses a stick to hit the creature's claw, which releases Polly, and together they make a run for it as more of the creatures begin to approach them. Back in the pilot's office, Pilot and his secretary are watching Medoc undergoing the correction process, which seems to be a form of brainwashing. Medoc is resisting as much as he can, and Pilot says that there is no hope for him, and that he will most likely be sentenced to the pits for life. He then goes to attend the recently arrived Doctor and Jamie. The Doctor confuses Pilot when he seems to show no more remorse for his actions, and is shot when the Doctor destroys another of the speakers near Pilot's desk. Pilot tells him that he will be punished, but they are interrupted by Ola, who arrives with Ben and Polly. Ola is once again dismissed, and Polly tells him what happened. However, Ben's brainwashing reasserts itself, and he loudly proclaims that he didn't see any creatures, and that there was no such things as Macra. The Doctor tells the others not to be too harsh on Ben, saying he is under the sway of an evil influence, and he demands that Pilot tell him who the controller is. Pilot switches on the communication with the controller, who tells them that Polly has hallucinated. Jamie says that he doesn't think the controller is real, as all they ever see of him is the same still picture of a face. The Doctor also demands to see the controller in person. The image on the screen changes and they see an older, disheveled version of the man in the picture. The voice orders him to speak to them, but he is too frightened to say anything, and they watch as he is dragged away by one of the crab creatures, who knocks over the camera broadcasting the image. Pilot ushers them out of the room as Polly calls out that the macro in control of the colony, as one of them steers through the distorted camera lens. Episode 3 Pilot contacts the foreman in the pit and says that the travellers are to be assigned to the Danger Gang. The face of the controller appears again and commends Pilot on his decision, but instructs him to forget what he saw. Pilot then orders Ben to keep an eye on his friends and report back to him if needs be. The others are brought to the dig site and their shift leader is brought to meet them. It turns out to be Medoc, who managed to resist the brainwashing in the hospital, and so has been assigned to the Danger Gang for life. He tells the others that the life expectancy for that shift is very short, but the pit foreman, whose name is Officia, tells them to hurry up and get back to work. Minak points out that they are entitled to have a dedicated supervisor, and he nominates the Doctor for the role. However, the Doctor, realising that Medoc is trying to keep him safe, says that he would prefer to work in the pit, and that Polly would be a better supervisor. Polly, though, says that she would be at a loss for what to do as a supervisor, and says that she will work in the pit. Jamie quietly suggests to the Doctor that he might be more useful in the control room, and so he is left in charge as Medoc, Jamie, and Polly are make their way into the pits. Ben arrives, and the Doctor lets him know that he is aware Ben is there to spy on him. He urges him to try and fight against the brainwashing, and warns him that if he continues to spy on them, then Jamie might not be as friendly as he is. Down the pit, Jamie and Polly are set to work, but not soon after, a gas strike is reported, and Milok takes them and the others to try and desperately seal it. Milok informs that the gas is poisonous, but they have no idea why they are made to mine it. They then set about repairing the burst main that caused the strike. Jamie spots a nearby door, but discovers that it is locked. Suddenly, Ben and Officia arrive, and Milok unseals the gas hole, letting a puff of it hit Officia in the face, which knocks him out. Jamie quickly searches and finds a set of keys, but steps back when Ben approaches. Ben takes Officia away to recover, and Polly wonders if he saw Jamie take the keys. Jamie goes to the door, whilst Polly keeps a lookout. Medoc then calls everyone over to assist, and Jamie uses the opportunity to go through the door. 
Once he's on the other side, he sees that he's entered a long tunnel which looks to be abandoned. He goes to investigate it, not noticing the scuttling of a macro behind him. Back in the outer tunnel, an alarm goes off indicating that someone has escaped. Polly tells Milak about Jamie, and he rushes off after him, leaving Polly by herself in the tunnel. Back in the control room, the doctor is working out some calculations on a board when Pilot arrives, who takes a moment to observe the doctor at work. Pilot recognises the formula the doctor is working on and demands to know how he figured it out. The doctor says he just worked it out by himself, but Pilot insists that he stole it as it is a secret formula known only to him and two others. He tells the doctor to remove it so that no one else can see it. Once he is satisfied that all traces of the formula are gone, Pilot leaves the room. Not too long after, Ben brings back a more or less fully recovered officia, just as an alarm goes off. Officia then issues an escape to kill order on the escaped person. He then notices that his keys are gone. Pilot arrives back and puts in a request to the controller to allow the guards to access the forbidden area of the colony, with his request denied. The doctor tries to make Officia and Pilot question the controller's decisions, but they refuse to listen to him, and so they depart. After they go, Ben addresses the doctor and tells him that he did in fact see Jamie take the keys, and he seems to be showing temporary signs of overcoming his brain rotting. Mina quietly creeps through the tunnels looking for Jamie. He hears something behind him, but as soon as he turns around he is attacked by a macro. Jamie hears his cries and goes after the sound. He finds Milak's body, but then he then goes into hiding as a macro appears, but not before throwing Milak's safety glasses at the beast. However, the macro soon locates his hiding place and starts to snatch at him. He manages to elude it and escapes further into the tunnel. Polly arrives in the control room and sees the doctor working with a set of chemicals. He tells her that Jamie should be safe as the guards are not allowed to pursue him in the Forbidden Zone, and he then goes back to his experiment as he is trying to analyse the exact nature of the gas, but comes up with nothing. Officia arrives and the doctor hides the test tube he was looking at. The alarm has stopped and Officia tells him that it means that the guards are closing in on Jamie. Meanwhile, Ben has gone to seek out Pilot in the hopes that he will help with the conflicting emotions he is feeling due to the brainwashing fading. Pilot's secretary tries to calm him down and starts using the rhetoric of the controller, which seems to cause Ben further confusion. Pilot returns but ignores Ben's worries and listens as the controller issues a command for all security units to move away from the tunnel that Jamie is in. He then issues a command for the tunnel to be flooded with the gas. The doctor realises that the gas wouldn't be wasted on such an effort unless it had another purpose. Polly asks what it could be and he tells her that the gas isn't being used to kill but is instead meant to keep something alive. He then rushes to a schematics board and hardly looks for a way to divert the gas somewhere else. In the tunnel, Jamie is avoiding more and more of the macro as he attempts to escape the tunnel. The gas starts to pipe into the tunnel, causing him to choke badly. He sees a doorway ahead and tries to make his way towards it but he becomes cornered by several macra. Episode 4 The Doctor and Polly watch as Officia obeys an order by the controller to maintain a full pressure outflow into the tunnel that Jamie is in. The Doctor tells Polly to check the readout on the dials overseeing the flow, whilst he tries to figure out how to reverse the process. The Doctor starts to fill with various pieces of equipment and spouts off nonsensical mathematical theorems in an effort to confuse Officia into revealing the function of each piece of machinery. He eventually discovers what he is looking for, the inflow regulator, and after figuring out how it works, makes the inflow system force fresh air into the tunnel. Officia then tries to call for the guards, but the doctor steals his keys and gives them to Polly so that she can lock the doors, thereby preventing anyone from getting in. The controller then orders the inflow of gas to resume and informs an anxious Officia that guards are on their way. Immediately, Ola and several guards begin to bang on the door, forcing the doctor and Polly to flee towards the pit. Officia lets the guards in, and a brief struggle ensues as the doctor and Polly try to lock the door behind them. They manage to successfully lock the door and they discover that they are in a tunnel filled with pipes, which Polly assumes to be for the dissemination of gas throughout the colony. She is reluctant to explore further, but the doctor reassures her that they will be safe and takes her by the hand. 
Meanwhile, Jamie enters an abandoned section of the tunnel in an attempt to evade the Macra, but he eventually gets cornered in a crevice and is nearly cut in half by one of their claws, but he manages to beat it away with a stick. However, his struggle causes the crevice to collapse and half bury him, leaving him easy prey for the Macra. Suddenly, the Macra begin to slump over as fresh air fills the tunnels. Jamie manages to pull himself free and runs off down the tunnel. His timing is unfortunate as he reaches an elevator just as the gas begins to flow into the tunnel again, after officially restored the machine to its original settings. The elevator opens up just outside the Grand Hall, where Barney is leading the marching band in a new routine to boost the morale of the workers. He spots Jamie trying to sneak past them, assumes that he is one of the new dancers. Jamie plays along and begins to do a dance he calls the Highland Fling, which ends with him attempting to fling himself out of a door, but he lands into the waiting hands of Ola, Ben and some guards. Ola asks Ben to confirm his identity, an act that Ben is clearly remorseful for, but is still compelled to do. Jamie is then led away as Ben breaks down. As the doctor and Polly are making their way through the tunnel, they hear the voice of the controller coming from up ahead. They sneak along and find the door leading to the controller's office and see that it is in fact a macra, using various recording equipment to issue orders to the colony to maintain the flow of gas. The doctor and Polly notice that there is a steady stream of gas pouring into the office, and the doctor realises that the macra need the gas to stay alive likening them to parasites using the humans to do what they cannot do themselves. Polly suggests that they should get Pilot and reveal the true nature of the controller to him, and they head back to find him. Pilot is actually in his office where he's in a heated debate with Ola, who is questioning his leadership abilities due to everything that has occurred. He turns to go to the controller and highlights that only he has been successful in recapturing one of the prisoners and again blames Pilot for the disappearance of the others. Just then, the Doctor and Polly arrive, who act as if they are in no danger at all. He tries to calm Jamie down when he shouts at the doctor to escape and he addresses Ben, hoping that he is feeling better. Ola summons his guards to arrest him, but Pilot says that it is no longer necessary as the doctor points out that they have given themselves up. Before the doctor can speak to Pilot in private, a message comes in from the controller, telling everyone including all executives to return to work. His voice grows more hysterical as the travellers attempt to get Pilot to ignore the voice and their efforts are rewarded when Pilot tells Ola to leave. Ola storms out with his guards, saying that he will report to the controller and Pilot agrees to go with the Doctor to see what they have discovered. However, no one sees Ben sneak out of the room after them. An announcement is made that the Pilot is to be arrested, and Ola is now in command in his stead. The Doctor and Pilot arrive at the command room, and Pilot is horrified to see the Macra inside, telling the Doctor that they must be destroyed. Their presence is detected by the Controller, and he orders them to be killed. They make their way back to the inflow room, where they see Ola and his guards waiting for them. Ola doesn't believe his claims about the Macra, and the controller messages in, saying that they, along with Jamie and Polly, are to be locked into the pipe room. He then tells Ola to assemble all the other colonists in the Grand Hall and not to return to the pit area for four minutes. Ola leaves to carry out his orders, not noticing Ben on the gangway above him. The prisoners find out the meaning behind the four minutes when the gas begins to seep into the room, which the controller says will kill them in the allotted time. Suddenly, they hear Ben knocking on the door, saying that he can't open it. The doctor then issues Ben instructions on how to reverse the flow of the gas. The controller tries to reassert control over Ben, but to no avail, and he calls in vain for the guards to return. He then tries to convince the doctor that he, this will lead to an explosion that will destroy the colony, but in actuality it will only affect the tunnel and the control room containing the macra. Ben throws the switch at the doctor's command, ending the macro threat to the colony. Later on, the marching band is giving performance to show their appreciation for the travellers saving their colony. Ben looks for the doctor as he has overheard something important, Jamie says that he is playing his recorder for a group of colonists. Ben informs him that it is planned for them all to become members of the colony, and the Doctor will fulfil the role of pilot. The Doctor then says that they need to leave right away, and suggests that they take a leave out of Jamie's book, and dance their way out the Grand Hall to the applause of the colonists. End of the story. 
Yay! Yay! Happy fun times, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Now that the story is recapped, we're going to go over to the trivia spot with Trisha. Over to you. Thank you all very much. So, the original air date for this story was the 11th of March to the 1st of April, 1967. Ending on the April 1st just adds more comedic value to this fucking story. (laughs) (laughs) The writer for the story is Ian Stewart Black. Now, we have mentioned Ian before. Uh, He previously wrote The Savages and The War Machines. This is his third and final credit for Doctor Who, so we will not be discussing Ian's work again. Though if you are a fan of his stuff and you're a fan of these stories, he did also write the three target novelizations for them. Which we've discussed before, I really like when the writer does them because they often put in things that maybe were in the original script and things like that, so I always like that. Ian sadly passed away back in 1997. The director for the story is John Davies. This is his only Doctor Who directing credit. He recalled in the DVD commentary on the animated version that (laughs) the brief he was given was make it frightening. Now, I've seen a few clips of the actual version. Mm -hmm. I don't know if frightening is really the word (laughs) I would use. The animated version, though, they went went hard on the frightening aspect. Mm -hmm. Because all four of these episodes are currently missing... He's actually one of three directors in the position where none of his original work on Doctor Who is available in the BBC archives. The other two are Michael Leaston Smith and Hugh David, who we've both discussed before. That's like, there's so much about the missing stories, like that there's various legacies left behind. Mm. Like you, in terms of like, you know, like you had Marco Polo, um, which would be the, like, the first kind of, I suppose, big grandiose historical and like that was like Warris's uh, that was done by Warris Hussein after you know the the very first story so that's kind of mm-hmm. missing and then you have like all these other fantastic stories that are missing and there was all some interconnected kind of stuff so he's in very select company yeah indeed so some of the working titles for the story were the Spider-Men plural the Insect Men and the Macros Spider-Men and Insect-Men are probably the most interesting titles because throughout the story we hear the macro described as being insect-like which makes no sense when you have the visual of a giant crab both in the animated version and in the original version. This is because the final design wasn't agreed upon when the scripts were finished. So the scripts were written with the idea that it would be an insect-like being or a spider-like being. And that's what the scripts were written for. And when they decided to go with a crab, they just didn't change the way they were described. Insecto Which, crab. when you're watching it, you're like, what sort of word insects do you be looking at? Do you think that looks like an insect? Oh, I think this might be like a progenitor to Pokemon. You know, it's your insecto crab. Go! <laughs> <laughs> um... This story was the first to use the new title sequence, which incorporated the image of the Doctor's face. This is something that I love in the classic stories, and I'm really gutted that they didn't do it in New Who. Because I think it's great to sort of, particularly because in classic, because the while there are small variations on the theme from one Doctor to another, and sometimes from season to season, they rework the intro title a little bit. Yeah. 
it's always nice when you just you hear that opening few beats and you see the face and you know exactly who you're watching because actually they did kind of do it for matt smith and peter capaldi's seasons so i think it was like matt smith's second season his mm. face kind of flashes in like a kind of a nebulous type cloud mm. and then for peter capaldi's one which is like you know very timey-wimey because like, it was mm. all clocks and type stuff his attack eyebrows <laughs> kind of make an appearance yeah, but it's not the same as it, like no, the... it's not the same as like the full tom baker dead passport photo stare you know <laughs> um or john pertwee's really weird smile <laughs> but what's actually kind of cool is that do you remember when we did an adventure in space and time yeah yeah i got the title right <laughs> do you remember they they flirted with the idea um of putting cardinal's face and, and there, there yeah. was like Reverend pinfield's just like oh jesus christ no that's terrifying <laughs> To be fair, like it's probably down to the guy that they got to do the fucking standing. <laughs> well, in fair, it's like I mean the technology has grown and evolved over yeah. the years. But it's um, amazing. It's amazing the difference. Like what was it like, three years, uh, nearly four years old, mate? In terms mm. of like even back then, production style and you know production value and stuff. Yeah. Um, where was I? Yeah. So first, <laughs> I have the new face, which actually in the animated version looks really cool. I think it came out really well. Mm. In the original script, uh, the doctor was actually sent to the hospital for correction, which was originally called the House of Correction, alongside Medoc. And it was only after brainwashing attempts failed that he was sent to the pit. So originally they were, because they keep threatening this um, hospital for correction and no one ever goes there. Originally in the script, he did go there. It just reminds you, like, the, the Shining was like, you know, I'm afraid I have to correct them. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> So, the Makra is basically a giant crab. And I say the Makra is a, gi- is a giant crab because for the original production, they had one that they had to repurpose for each shot. That included, like, in the scenes with Jamie, where there's meant to be, like, multiple macro coming at them. They had to, like, film it and lock it and then film it and lock it off so they could duplicate the macro. And at the end, when the macro is a... Where you have, like, the, the lead macro, you know, like, the macro leader, it's a slightly different colour. They had to repaint the entire thing because they only had the one. Palette swap. Yeah. Uh, nobody particularly liked the prop. It was really big, it was really heavy, it was difficult to transport, and it was difficult to move. And apparently, Hins Lloyd actually went to the BBC... So, this was an external prop, an external company made it. And so, Hins Lloyd went to the BBC Visual Effects Department to ask them to verify if it was actually worth the £500 he had spent. <laughs> Just, you got you got you was you got reamed <laughs> yeah so he clearly didn't like it none of the actors really liked it either um it just wasn't fit for purpose so in terms of the adaptation and the animation style it really benefits from the animation as well hmm. so talking about the animation so as i mentioned all four episodes of the story are currently missing from the archives there's a few there's a fair few screenshots in Ferris, or like telesnaps. Mm. And there is some surviving footage for the same reason that we've discussed before, where it was too violent for Australia. <laughs> so it was censored out. So if you see a continuous clip, odds are that is from Australia because they didn't want to actually show it. Actually, uh, do you remember when we 
uh, we're talking about the drinking game that the guys over in Half Measures mm. created. They actually posted the gift of like Ben and Polly like recoiling in terror. That's actually yeah. from this story. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> so we were able to watch this story though in its entirety. I'm gonna put quotes on that for the moment. Mm-hmm. Um because the BBC has animated this entire story. So all four episodes have been animated, which is great, and they're available on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, I know the Blu-ray release, I don't know if the DVD release includes all of this, but I know the Blu-ray release does, where you have animation in colour, animation in black and white, and then the reconstructions of the episodes, both with narration by Annika Wills and without narration by Annika Wills. I don't know if all of that is on the I, DVD. I think it's all, I don't, I see, I don't have the Blu-ray copy, and I'm pretty sure that's all on it. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, because I have this steel book and I don't know which bits are specific or whatever. So you've a lot of variety when watching this on the DVD. Um, personally, I watched the color version and I also watched the reconstruction bits just to see what it was like because I was curious as to certain bits. Um, there are some changes though between the original version and the animated. And some of these do impact the story in a way and some of them don't so the first big one is the removal of the makeover sequence so in the animated version they go to the refreshing department which isn't for refreshments as ben thought but is to refresh yourself and basically they have a makeover uh polly gets her hair cut the doctor gets put in brand new clothes and like his hair is all done and he hates it and he ends up going through like a rumple machine to yeah. re-rumple himself. Jamie is like, I'm not a girl. Stop <laughs> stop touching me. And Ben's just getting a suntan, loving life. That entire segment was removed from the animated version. And like it's also so I have two things, right? One is the that kind of the animation doesn't help this continuity based conversation that's kind of sprung up as of late as to Polly's hair. Yeah. You know, she, she what she does is she asks for a shampoo not a haircut a shampoo so i'm not i look i know nothing about women's hair other than that they have it uh so i wonder would like would that kind of account for the fact that her hair is long again at the start of the next story no so that's a whole different thing so i'll get into that in a little bit right yeah. but basically polly gets her hair cut mm. in part of that sequence that, that that's what happens so during that sequence Polly gets a haircut in the animation <laughs> they made it even more confusing because without that sequence they still wanted to have Polly with her sort of pixie haircut yeah. so they had her starting the story and actually there's a little clip that's an animated version of the end of the moon base which is a surviving episode which is a surviving episode they animated the end of it in black and white and gave Polly the pixie haircut. So they've done this weird thing where I'm sure most fans don't care. But from a continuity perspective, and if you're a fan of Polly, her hair in this just makes no fucking sense whatsoever. A few other things. Um, all of the characters except Ben were the same clothes throughout. In the original story, there was changes. Um, Jamie was meant to wear that shorts and double-breasted mm-hmm. jacket. Um, Polly, Ben and Jamie are all sleeping in the same room whereas the Doctor gets his own room originally Ben and Jamie were together 
Polly was in a room by herself. Yeah. Which makes sense. And the doctor had a room himself. <laughs> it's the future. They've forgotten your like primitive notions of modesty. Yeah. But still. Uh, so in the animation, Ben, Polly and Jamie are on the same room. They made the attack of the macro on Polly in the animation, in my opinion, better. Because <laughs> uh, the macro actually picks her up. And yeah. you know they can do all that in animation that they clearly couldn't do with the prop. Uh, they also gave the macro legs. Apparently the original prop wasn't very good at scuttling. No. You mentioned in your summary that uh, Jamie sees Medoc's body. Yes. In the animation, they changed that to imply that Medoc has been sort of melted hmm. as there's a puddle of ooze that's left. There's three female characters in this, uh, two of whom have names and one of whom doesn't, who were all basically made one character. So their original characters were Chicky, Sunna, and Pilot's secretary. They were three different people. So there's three different female characters that they interact with at one point. All of whom have no bearing on the story whatsoever. No, they don't whatsoever. They're just women that they talk to. And in the animation, they just have them all be the same person. (laughs) (laughs) They use the same design for all of them. Um, When we see into the control room, so both when the Doctor and uh, Polly see in and when the Doctor and Pilot see in, in the original, there was one macra because they had one prop. <laughs> in the animation, there's a few of them, which makes sense. And lastly, <laughs> we have the final sequence. So this is something where you know we don't dock points in our overall for production choices. Right? Mm. We tend to go with the story rather than the visuals yeah. because you know times change and visuals age although we have had discussions about the costumes and stuff from the web planet yeah <laughs> but anyway but anyway the final sequence of the doctor and companions taking a leaf out of jamie's book and dancing their way out of the colony isn't there yeah it just so you ends. have ben telling the doctor oh they want to make you pilot and the doctor saying oh we should leave and it just pans up yeah and ends. So you don't actually know how they left. And like it's it's weird, like because like so when I'm doing the reviews, right, obviously I will be typing away at stuff. Now for the missing stuff, what I do is I go to uh TARDIS Wikia, it's a, I'm one of the fandom wikias, mm. uh just to kind of see if there's a difference. And usually there is. There's some plot elements that they leave out that I make sure to include and mm. whatever. Um but they mentioned like this makeover section and I was like what fucking makeover section so then I actually went and I watched the reconstruction thing I was like for me this is actually kind of important because it tells a lot about Jamie's character he's very shy around girls he seems to have a small bit of a crush on Polly because Polly is sort of like doting over him going ah don't you look lovely oh look at you and he's like stop it and it's like I, I think that's a kind of a cool Ben's there stunning himself. And we get oh. a lot of insight into the Doctor where he likes his rumble-tumble look. Yeah. And he doesn't like the idea of, don't give me a... Uh, he doesn't like wearing, like, ironed clothes and whatever. Because, yeah, like, it's it's actually very important to the characters, uh, all of them in one way, shape, or form, but specifically Jamie and the Doctor. Because it will indicate how Jamie will work around f- story, uh, female story-based companions if he's by himself with them. 
I, with the Doctor as well, is the whole thing of, you know, his previous incarnation was always very pristinely dressed. Mm. Whereas this version has gone the complete opposite, and it seems to be integral to his character that, like, like I... He's a hobo by choice. Yeah, I make the, I always make the kind of comparison, like, when I have to go to work, and when, I, when the client is ever appearing in work, or stuff like that, I have to wear a suit. And I always say to everyone, I cannot wait to get this fucking thing off me, because I feel like a bear that has been dressed up for a special occasion. <laughs> and... Yeah, like on, like I don't mind wearing suits except for you know for weddings and proper stuff. But I have to wear it to work. I just feel completely like a show pony, and I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> I want to be free. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't like the fact that they removed. I know that no, they've said that it's down to animation costs. My thing. So a lot of these are down yeah. to animation costs, right? Mm-hmm. And my thing on that, and because you, you and I have discussed this privately before, that one of the reasons why they haven't done Marco Polo. Yeah. is because there's a lot of costume changes in Marco Polo and they would have to create new assets of each character every time. Hmm. And my response to that is, I'll be fine, I'll be honest, bullshit. Yeah. If you're going to animate the story, animate the fucking story. Hmm. And t- try to be as true to the story as you can possibly be. I don't mind adding things that you wanted to do but couldn't so in terms of having more macro present that's mm. that's fine um or like the was it in power where we have like the dalek production line yeah or whatever that's fine because that was implied in the original it just mm. couldn't be sh- done in the original yeah but like it just it comes across as lazy like, oh, we can't, we couldn't be bothered doing an asset of Polly with long hair and an asset of Polly with short hair. Mm. Or we couldn't be bothered changing Jamie's clothes because Jamie was meant to wear the same clothes as Ben. Yeah. And my thing with that is just like, well, if you're going to animate the story, then animate the story. Because otherwise what you're doing is you're doing an adaptation of XYZ, not an animation of yeah. and that's my personal opinion on it um i think it was most evident in this story mm. i'm sure that i'm sure it's probably been in the others as well and we just haven't uh, noticed them quite as much well see i've gone back and i've looked and i i think there's only one major change and it's that in power when the doctor plays his recorder for the very first mm. time he does a little bit of a jig and apparently in the in the show that's a lot more animated than what we got in the actual recreate or the the animation that they did mm. like no they still did it but apparently it was a bit more animated so therefore it, it, it was tougher to animate yeah but here's like look you you're kind of taking away a character moment now i know it seems a bit silly but at the same time silly stuff leads to good character development and also you've taken away the the actual ending yeah and like my thing of it is if you're going to do and animation and particularly macro terror i'll be interested to see next week's one as well yes because like the macro terror it got a dvd and blu-ray release they're doing a black and white version and an and, and a colored version mm-hmm. and they're doing it like the steel book release and they're making it this big thing you know stop making multiple versions of it and make yeah. one that's good i would Was rather it- have had a complete story in black and white if, if, if fucking you know if money is an issue stop fucking colouring it in it was broadcast in black and white just, just leave it in black and white <laughs> you can call yeah. it noir it's fine it's people like that I like that or you can call it Doctor Who from the 60s yes exactly 
I know that was a that was a bit long winded. The reason why we're putting this in the trivia was a if you're watching it yourself, you're going to see a few differences from what Paddy described because there was scenes taken out and stuff was slightly edited. Mm. But also because I personally felt quite strongly on it, it really bothered me. But when Paddy and I discussed would we include it in our overall, we kind of decided that we tend to or we try not to dock points based purely on recreation choices we don't you know slam loose cannon for what they do and like some of their recreation choices are unique wait till you get to evil of the daleks my god it's fantastic <laughs> but like we don't we don't dock points because of the guys working with what they have so we weren't going to dock points for this either but we wanted to mention it yeah now we've mentioned it i'll move on so before we jump into the cast, one last point just for everyone's benefit. The Macra do return. So the Macra return again in Gridlock, which is a season th- series three. So this is David Tennant and Martha. Yes. Yes. Story uh, set on New Earth. Um, and so they're in- they return in that story. And again, Paddy, you could maybe confirm if this is present on the DVD. But on the Blu-ray, Gridlock is included as a I, bonus episode. I don't have gridlock on my thing. Okay, that's probably what the difference was, so with the steel book. Yeah. Cool. So on to our cast. This trivia section has gone on way longer than usual. Um <laughs> It's so, trivia, therefore it's interesting. <laughs> so onto our cast. So as Medoc, we have Terence Lodge. This is the first of three Doctor Who acting appearances for Terence. We'll see him again in Carnival of Monsters and Planet of the Spiders. His other acting credits include An Age of Kings, The Avengers, Ding, Softly Softly, Zed Cars, Double Ding, hmm. The Bill, and London's Burning. I feel like we can start including Softly Softly like as a potential Dingo card because like you've got that and you've got Dixon of Doc Green and there's yeah. a few other ones there. <laughs> there's a few that I'm just like, I've, I've mentioned that before. I'll mention it again. Um, as pilot, we have Peter Jeffrey. This is the first of two Doctor Who acting credits for Peter. We'll see him again in The Androids of Tara. Peter was actually considered for the role of the second Doctor before they decided on Patrick Charlton. You know what? I've, I, I'll talk about it based on the filmography there now, mm. but I actually quite enjoy Peter Jeffrey, and I think he's one of those people that you would be very interested to see him in the role, you know? Mm. So his other credits include Villette, Napoleon and Love, the Return of the Pink Panther, Jack and Ori, Crown Court, and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Which I fucking love. It is. I knew. I was going through his filmography, and obviously, a lot of these people. This show is from the sixties. Their filmographies are incredibly long. I'm not going to list them all, so I tend to go through and I find things that they played a prominent role in, or it's something that we'll have heard of. And when I saw the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, a I just got flashbacks to WarpCon in general. Yes. Because it's always mentioned at some yeah. point. And I was like, I have to include it for Paddy's benefit. I have to include it. So I don't know who he played in that. You can look that up for he, yourself. He plays the Ottoman Sultan. So, ah. yeah, not uh, Baron Munchausen. Also, did you mention Androids of Tara, yeah? Androids of Tara, yeah, he's in that as well. Cool. Uh, fun fact, that is the story that I watched, I think, my first night in Castle Gregory ever. Oh. Yeah. How come you watched that in... I didn't. Uh, because I think you went to bed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I was on my actual initial run through of the story, so I was trying to, or a series, I was trying to watch one story a night. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like, what are you doing watching a sneaky Doctor Who while I'm asleep? <laughs> Peter passed away, sadly, in 1999. Ola is played by, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, Gerton Clauber? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. That's the most horrible way I could pronounce it, but it's the best way I can do it. This is his second and final appearance in Doctor Who. We previously saw him in The Romans. Oh, amazing story. Where he played the Galley Master. Gurton's mm. other credits include... Now, he had a long list of stuff. He has Jesus of Nazareth, Paul of Tarsus, Anna Karenina, Sherlock Holmes. He was in several carry-on films. I started going through... I, I stopped copying them all over because there's too many. The Avengers, Withering Heights... Octopussy, which I included again for your benefit, and Black Adder the Third. And yes, I remember where he is the Mad King George who ends every sentence with the word penguin. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, You as Prince Regent, and I as King Penguin. <laughs> um, actually, when you were going through the thing, it was, like, it was Jesus of Nazareth, Paul of Tarsus, and I just in my head went, Anna of Corinna, Sherlock of Holmes. <laughs> so did I when I was writing the list. <laughs> Uh, Gerton passed away back in 2008. Lastly, as Officia, we have John Harvey. We previously discussed John when talking about the War Machines, where he played Professor Brett. Uh-huh. And this is his final acting credit for Doctor Who. And I'm not going to describe his whole thing again, because I described it back in the War Machines, and people can go back and listen to it there. Absolutely, and you can listen to us give out a vote, said War Machines. <laughs> yeah. What does that smoke do? <laughs> So thank you very much for a very awesome and interesting trivia section. Uh, lots to talk about there. Uh, would actually anyone's actually seen the animated version of this story? We'd love to get your thoughts on us to see whether or not you felt the same way about the animation. Um, um, I was trying to say dismissals or subtractions. Changes. Changes. Omissions. That's the word I was thinking of. Omissions. Um, so yeah. Now, as always, we're going to move on to the main part of the podcast, which is the character discussion, starting off with the Doctor going on to the companions, both regular and story based, and then the villains. And then before we give our overall scoring. So I went first last week, I think, on the Doctor. So how about you start us off this week? Cool. So thing for me is, with the exception of Jamie's time in the mineshaft. Yeah. Uh, Doc Pat does most of the work, I think, in this story of our standard crew. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he carries it quite well. Um, I think the pilot had no idea what to fucking do with him. <laughs> so he was, like every time the pilot was given an out of like, oh, but like I'm here now, so you don't have to worry. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> what, what what he said, he genuinely has no clue what to do with him. My thing with the doctor in this episode, though, and I don't know, maybe I need to watch it again. But after egging Ben and Jamie on in the capture of Medoc, and like if you listen. If you watch the episode with subtitles on, which I do for reasons, um, he's very much get him, hold him down. Like, he's very much involved in egging the two of them on in capturing Medoc. He then tries to protect him and free him. So I think it might be an an initial, I have to make sure that, like, you know, like, oh, my friends need to be safe from this person. Because I think had Ola and the guards not arrived as soon as they did, 
I think there would have been a case of, okay, no, my friend, now that you're calmed down, like, kind of jokingly, he would have struck up the conversation then. Maybe, yeah, but, like, again, if you watch the episode, and listen, I watch it with subtitles on, so a lot of times when they're talking over each other, I can see yeah. who's saying what. He gets very into it. Oh. Do you know? It's not like, don't hurt him or be careful, it's, get him. Yeah. Do you know? It's very, <laughs> it's very much like a mob mentality. So for me, I thought it was very interesting that he went from that side of things to suddenly wanting to protect him and to free him. And I get the fact that he's clearly interested in what Medoc saw. Yeah. In how it ties into the big claw thingy. But like he hasn't spoken to any of the administration about the big claw thingy up to now. Like for all for all he knows, that's a native animal to this planet that they're well aware of and it's a complete non issue. Hmm. Do you know? So I found that a bit weird well I suppose one thing that maybe is that um so clearly the the, the macro are we what would you say they are about maybe 15 20 foot tall judge I'd on say the probably anim- 15 yeah judge on the animation settings yeah. so i think if they're like and i suppose with anything to do with any sort of a, a colony on it especially when it comes when it comes to terraforming a planet you usually see a small bit of hesitance from the colonists to actually venture outside so no this could just be kind of completely over correcting or over making like, you know assumptions of is that he by the fact that the guys don't see seem alarmed to get back to the colony away from these giant fucking 15 foot whatever maybe the doctor's like well this seems kind of oddly suspicious yeah but also maybe they're just a non-issue for them Possibly, you know, yeah. They know they're there. It doesn't matter. So that, for me, I think could have done a little bit more explanation because, like, watching it, I was sort of like, it looks like he's just being a busybody for the sake of it. Do you no, know? I think this might actually be a kind of a recurring theme over the last couple of stories because you remember we've said that there are certain things that happen or are mentioned and that's it. There's just a mention. Mm. They're left. Like, why are the colonists fighting in Power of the Daleks? Yep. Cybermen just casually mentioned, "Oh, you, we're aware of you." It's like, how? Like these little treads that are there and they're just dropped mm. for the sake of progressing the story, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So that I kind of I got over it fairly quickly, but like mm. initially, I was like, "Hey, so these people are being very welcoming to you. You haven't even asked them." Um, you know, they tell you that Medoc is dangerous. They tell you that he needs to be sent to the hospital for correction or whatever um but the doctor doesn't actually ask them in any great detail what's wrong with him what did he do what you know what's illegal about it so for him to suddenly like try to stay to jailbreak on his own it just seemed it seems a bit higgledy-piggledy for me um the other thing is i'm surprised he didn't do more to try and break ben out of the mind control because we've seen him do it before so I'm surprised we didn't have him have like Jamie hold him down mm-hmm. and then the doctor tried to hypnotize him like he did with Dodo in the War Machines. You know, the story that introduced Ben. Yeah. So that kind of surprised me that he just kept like, he just accepted it. And it didn't seem like he was doing anything to rescue Ben. Yeah, because like, it's... So that it actually leads to a very interesting interaction in my in my notes about the doctor, but one thing that I suppose is we not have the benefit of knowing that later down the line, 
the doctor isn't above using his friends as bait as bait you know as such Mm. maybe that was a potential here where by having Ben still be brainwashed it it might have been playing into his own investigations maybe Um, I just it, it rubbed me the wrong way do you know that he just kept like he kept saying to Jamie and Polly like oh there's nothing we can do it's and very serious like it's not Ben's fault don't hold it against him because Jamie gets very treasure yeah um, but you know we have seen him break people from mind control before yeah so it seemed a bit odd that he didn't even try even if we just saw like you know Ben hold him down so I can try and break the mind control and then Ben runs do you know like yeah. even like a mention of it. Um, other than that, though, so those two things I found a little bit odd. Generally speaking, though, I mean, this is pure Patrick Troughton, like, subverting all expectations when it comes to the people that they're interacting with. Like, they kind of yeah. expect him to be one way. He goes complete, like, 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Um, we get to see him sciencing things out a bit and all that kind of stuff. So all of that's great. I think he carries the story really well i just think that there's a few little tweaks that could have been made to make it better um yeah no yeah no i i could could see that i'd say that all right um were you happy that he as opposed to having a big checklist he did science on a board were you happy with that he did do science on a board Uh, that's actually one of the edits i i I forgot to mention in in the trivia originally he was doing it on a pipe Mm -hmm. it was right on the wall so i like the fact that he was doing science on a board um now why he scribbled out his science as opposed to rubbing it out makes no sense but um he did science on the board and he got 11 out of 10 and that also that that chemical formula that also that well that no that's, to, a, that's a series of yeah no but no like that seemed to be another plot element and i just fucking kind of like dangled because like it's never made reference that that's how he found out what the gas was for or anything like that yeah like yeah. what the fuck was that <laughs> Um, was that the controlling agent? Was that the agent that the macro needs? I'll get I'll get to that more yeah. later on about the gas, but yeah. Uh, I really like the doc. No, I again like I like Pat. I, I think Patrick Troughton is just like any any worries that he would have had about him taking over the role, they're gone. Like they're completely gone at this stage. Hmm. Like I think he's a, like he's great in the role. He's because he's brought. He's kept a kind of that true line of certain aspects of the doctor and like it's he's mimicked william hartman for it perfectly but he's also brought enough new stuff that you can kind of go it's almost like you know original series next generation they're both star trek but mm-hmm. i can like aspects of one over the other and vice versa mm-hmm. um like his comedic t- comedic timing i would i i really want to see uh, if anyone's out there that actually has a copy of the Macro Terror, like the existing edition, they're holding on to it for money, you pricks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I really just want to see like the scene where he just wrecks his brand new clothes because it's like, ah, yes, that's better. Um, that, that's a way. It's like, Paddy wants the person who has the copy of the Macro Terror, you know, please sh- share it with him so he can see it. Also, you're a prick. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's great way to ingratiate someone. <laughs> I know. I, 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 what did we talk last week about? You know, if you piss me off, I hold a grudge. Yeah. Um, but there was one other thing that I actually 
I liked it. I think it's, again, foreshadowing something that's developed much further down the line of Doctor Who, mm. is this concept of the angry Doctor. Not angry at the villain, or angry at like the story of his companions, but angry at his friends. And it's when he walks into the room and he sees Ben is being conflicted, he just goes, Ben, you know, how are you keeping? And it's like just that very... And what I, what I like it too, it's when your best friend is mad at you and is just giving you like the cold shoulder treatment and you're like, ah, fuck. Mm. Lower those eyebrows. <laughs> uh, um, but do you, did you kind of get that as well? Or do you, do you see where I'm coming from with that? I do see where you're coming from. I didn't quite catch it the same way you do. Maybe because you don't give me that treatment anyone you're as often as I give it to you. <laughs> Um, what I did pick up on though is when Ben is spying, yeah, not really trying to hide it, on the doctor, and the doctor is like, Jamie won't appreciate this the same way I do, yeah, or something along those lines. Yeah, like, Jamie like, won't take this the same way I do. Yeah, it's like he won't be as like forgiving as I am, or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, help Ben then, and that that's what brings it back around to the fact that he doesn't even try to undo the brainwashing. Hmm. It's like he knows that Jamie is feeling very betrayed. Yeah. Uh, doesn't really understand all that's happening. Um, and instead of trying to bring Ben back, he warns Ben, basically, don't be surprised if Jamie jumps you. Yeah. And it's like, that's... That, that for me, was a bit much. Because, like, again, like if this was part of some sort of, like, he wanted... Like, he knows that the brainwash, brainwashing can be beaten without mm. external influences like because uh, me not clearly is resistant to it in some way shape or form so if this is trying to put you know bed be his own savior again it's not mentioned in the resolution be it in the actual thing or in the animation it's not and like we'll get to ben there now in a while but you know when he's there kind of giving guidance to ben he's walking through things step by step it's like this is the relationship that you normally have with Ben, where you trust him with your life and you trust him with the lives of the others. It's a case of, it's 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 just it is very weird, and the and again it's look it's fantastic acting by Patrick Trouton because as I've always said like he's while well, he is a fantastic comedic actor, he's just a great actor in general, and he's very it it can be very disarming or it can be seem very soft the way he asked Ben how are you keeping. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind those simple words, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think you know, that whole aspect of using companions. Hmm. So he left Ben be mind-controlled and didn't do anything to stop it because A, he thought Ben could fight it himself and come around later. And when he does that, Ben might have some inside information that the doctor was missing. And, you know, we will see in the future that comes up time and again um with one doctor in particular it's very much part of his motif it's a part of the doctor's motif i don't particularly enjoy and i think that's the thing about the doctor though is that like you can love the doctor but there are aspects of the doctor's personality that you don't like as a fan yeah and that's perfectly fine absolutely the idea of leaving his companions to suffer personally that's a negative for the doctor. It's not a negative for Pat. It's not a negative no. for whatever. But the fact that they decided to do that with the character for me is a no, negative. I, 
I like, but like, I think that's what makes that's why like the show is so interesting is because that the Doctor isn't white knight, mm. and even from the early days, like even like in the glory days, like you know the golden days of like when you had like Tom Baker there, he's still not a white knight because he's still shady in yep. various different things, whether he and with the companions or with his with the villains, and. Then, like, you kind of go, like, you know, we've talked about the, the, the true line between all the various incarnations of him. This is also that same true line, where it's like there is a manipulative nature to him as well. Yeah. And he rationalizes it as, like, I won't say the ends justify the means, but there's, it has all been building to something and everything should have benefited from it, type thing, you know? Yeah. I think you can actually probably, now that I think about it, um, I think you can actually probably track it back to the Daleks and this idea of lying to the companions yeah. about the Mercury in the fluid link because he wanted something. And I think you can start it from there, really. Because, I mean, the pilot story, the original, like, An Unearthly Child, that has all this other drama surrounding it, so... Leave that aside, but the Daleks. It's him using other people, playing on them and their thoughts and their knowledge or lack thereof for an outcome that he wants. But like, even if you want to go, like, say, a small bit further, like, I won't say a small bit further along, but if you want to go further along when the Doctor has gone away from, like, the early curmudgeon days, you can go into the chase, as you kind of said, like, he leaves Stephen to die type thing. Stephen, who was the person that helped him get out, it's like, you know, very kind of coldly, look, he went back for a fucking teddy bear, leave him type thing, you know. But, um, yeah, so I think we've mentioned one particular person an awful lot <laughs> during the Doctor's discussion, so how about we move on to Ben? Poor Ben. He looks like such a kicked puppy when he starts to fight back against the brainwashing. He does. There's two things, right? So, A, he looks like a kicked puppy. Uh, in the animation. Um, also, is it just me? Right? Or do they animate him with an extraordinarily large head compared to the rest of his body? That I didn't pay attention to. But it, he does sort of, like, think about, no, there is sort of a bobble head type. His head is very disproportionate <laughs> to the rest of him. I have, I have a comment, a similar comment about the animation choice for Jamie, but Ben's head seems, like, huge and rectangular. He was stung than... by a bee, okay? Leave him alone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I think this is, this is another story where a lot comes across in the audio. Mm. Freddie's to Michael Craig's, a lot comes across in the audio. Oh, his performance in this is fantastic. But I would really love to see the original, to see the torture, the conflict. Yeah. Do you know? Because clearly at several points there is this massive internal struggle between the brainwashing component and the man we know Ben to be. Like, the fact that he, you know, for the first time ever, doesn't stand by Polly. Yeah. he Like, he's not supporting Polly. Like, we said in the moon base that him and Polly kind of have it off because of this is man's work or whatever, but that was different. That was a protective thing. Yeah. But this is the one time where he doesn't protect her. No. And like, I think the concept of a companion, like they flirted with a small bit with Dodo under Wotan's uh, influence. 
but that was just handled kind of poorly. Whereas mm. here, we actually get to see a negative influence of the doctor's brain, or the, sorry, a companion's brainwashing against the group. And like Michael Michael Chris's performance in this is fantastic. It's probably one of his best performances. I think so. Because and again, it ties back to stuff like we discussed from the Ten Planet in that he can play a tortured person very well. And mm. uh, it can be emotional struggles. And like again, like when he you know when he has to give up Jamie after Ola and the guys capture Jamie after he does the Highland fling. It's like yes, like it imme- that scene immediately goes from comedic to kind of soul wrenching because he can't stop the compulsion to out his friend. Yeah, and I think you know we mentioned the Rotan thing with Dodo and and Polly with Rotan, and you know this is written by the same person, maybe the same writer. His, maybe he learned from his mistake. Yeah, so I wonder if this is him sort of taking a few of the elements from that and really doubling down on it in a believable way because you know we get to see the entire gamut yeah now do i think would i still have preferred the doctor make an attempt to help him get better yes i would given the performance that michael cray has put in i would like it to have been an attempt yeah and then we still get this wonderful performance a question for you Mm. when ben is fully under the the trial of the brainwashing, right? I got an impression that had they had Ben not been a companion, say if they had met Ben while he was on duty on on his ship, mm. I feel like that this is what Ben would be like if he wasn't a companion, if he was on on active duty as a sailor. I can see that. I can see that because from what we've seen of Ben, is he is a bit of a cheeky chappy from time to time. Oh yeah, he's pure, pure. But. Any time they're in any sort of military installation whatsoever, be that the moon base, tenth planet, whatever, it's always yes, sir. Yeah. How can I help, sir? It's very much ingrained into him. in him, you know. And while he still might say, like, you know, you know, I'll have you, mate. You're breaking the law. Yeah. He still says it with his own Cockney accent and blah yeah. blah blah. blah. It's in there that there is protocol, there is law, there is rule, there is command, there is structure. You follow that. So yeah, I I would agree. I think you know maybe not quite as zealously. No. In terms of the more emotional components, but I think in terms of like day to day, like I think it's very much what Ben is probably like when he's on duty. Hmm. Yeah, and like, um, it would have it would have been I think interesting to see like I like Ben's introduction to the story, like or into the into the 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 universe of Doctor Who. I really enjoy it. It would have been potentially interesting to see had he been uh, introduced while he was on active duty. But um, who knows? Maybe there's an alternate universe out there where Ben <laughs> did encounter Ben in such a way. But I think no, this is definitely this is going to be one for the the rambling. In terms of yeah. best performance. Oh, definitely. Like, I'm going to say right now, in terms of Michael Craze's best performance, mm. this is definitely up there. In terms of Ben's best stories, it, it, it's up there as well. But in terms of yeah. the but delivery yeah, the, the, for Michael the, Craze, yeah. definitely. Because like we've talked before, especially when it comes to the missing stories, the audio is key to the, the hook 
and mm. like we've discussed a lot with Marco Polo, we discussed it with stuff like the for me, the, you know, the Crusade, uh, even like the Daleks Master Plan. Like that, that we joke about how much of a slog that was, but at least it was an enjoyable roller coaster, except for episode seven, uh, because of everyone involved in it. Yeah, I think the thing with Ben, and we'll probably get to this when we do our rambling when Ben eventually leaves, but yeah. the thing with me for Ben is throughout these discussions because so much of ben and polly's but so much of ben's stuff is missing yeah ben for me between the doctor ben polly and now jamie ben is really the character in this last run that i want to see Mm. i really want to see what michael did because his voice acting sounds so amazing yeah um and you know we know that the animation they cut corners they don't really like making new assets so for me i think at the moment like of all the companions that we currently have the doctor ben polly and jamie whatever it's ben that i want to see yeah the live action version of to see how did he play this out more so than i want to see you know polly in the underwater menace or whatever do you know no absolutely absolutely uh so polly next indeed um i don't know about you but i think this episode should be renamed the perils of polly yeah like we're we're drifting into yo-yo territory now here where we had the highlanders yeah excellent we had the underwater menace boo earns we had some redeeming moments some, but, but that's why we said Boo Arns. Uh, then we had the moon base, which was again back up there. Now we're back to seriously fucking Boo Arns. Like, <laughs> yeah, my issue with Polly in this is we discussed it at length. I think, I think, I think, when I, said, I think it was about like 15 20 minutes we were discussing mm. Polly in the underwater menace. Um, we discussed at length how flippy floppy her character was in that mm. story. Yeah. Um, and how the sort of perils of Polly part massively contradicted with everything else. But at least she got her redeeming moments. moments yeah. Which were really important to us because Polly is a very strong person who is capable of overcoming her fears very well. Mm-hmm. For me, this is worse than the Underwater Menace because there is no redeeming moment. No, whatsoever it does not and like okay now one thing i can possibly say in defense of polly in this story okay is that she was picked up by a fucking 15 foot crab and up until now every every villain that she has faced has been more or less humanoid in nature with the with the with the exception of the daleks mm. but that's on a like daleks are what like fucking five foot eight that's still on a manageable level. This is the first time when the villain for Polly has been a monstrosity. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. No, as I say, don't, that's not to excuse a lot of the fucking no. bullshit that happens in the story when it comes to Polly. Because... I'd accept that as one possible reason, right? Yeah. But similar to the fact that like we used Polly's near-forced body mutilation in the underwater mm. menace as an explanation as to why she panics and freaks out later 
Yeah. In that episode. But we also said that that doesn't really fly as a no. reason. I think, yeah, Polly faces this 15-foot crab thing that lifts her up in the air. She also has her companion mm-hmm. in the form of Ben. Yeah. Turn against her. Yeah. And call her a liar, basically. But for me, in terms of, like, Polly can't do anything against the Makra physically. Yeah. But there's plenty of people there. Polly is a people person. Kick him in the dick. <laughs> no, <laughs> Kick but him in the yeah. dick or, or talk them round. That's where her skill set lies. And I don't think they utilize that. Like, even, like, once they went down into the pit, yeah. you know, her, you know, I was looking for conversations between her and Midoc or her and Officia, you know, maybe getting Officia to to turn tail. Um, so there's plenty of human interactions that could have been had that they didn't. And like, this is the first time that Polly has kind of fallen into the Dodo Susan category of companion, which is a fucking shame because We've talked about Lent about how Polly is a companion that actually really we felt has been um I won't say maligned but misrepresented misrepresented mm-hmm. yeah definitely in in mo- in modern discussion about classic who and especially for me because the first time I ever went through this I was like oh, fuck it she's grand you know she's not the worst she's not the best but she's there here it's a case of no Polly I think is a is a vital representation of what the contemporary companions could be like, you know? Yeah. And no, I won't consider her to be a as I've dubbed them, the horsewoman. She won't be one she won't be one of those four. But she's definitely a, a top I would say top fifteen uh companion across all of them, you know? For me, of the female companions we've seen up to now. Yeah. Okay, so we have Susan, Barbara, Vicky, Dodo, Polly. Yeah. Excluding Katarina yeah. and, and Sarah Kingdom for the moment, right? Because they had one story. Yeah. Them off. Polly's ranked number two. For yeah. Me, yeah. At the moment. No. Oh, of those five, Polly is ranked number two. And mm. no offense to Vicky, there's a fairly sizable gap between Polly or Vicky slash Susan, because sometimes they alternate. There's a very sizable gap for me between Polly and the next person on the list. No, no, but it's, it's fair because, like, like I've talked before about how I really like Vicky as a companion, but her moments to shine, they're not really as standoutish as Polly's moments. Mm. I was going to say, I think what makes Polly so great and what puts her, for me, in that number two spot of the companions that you and I have discussed up to now, obviously after the queen, that is Barbara. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the goddess that she is. Um is Polly and Barbara both did something far more regularly than the other female companions did. Yeah. Um, Dodo being the worst extreme for this, which is that Polly has been known very well and very effectively to drive the plot. Yeah. She is very good at driving the plot. We saw it on the moon base. We saw it in the Highlanders. We saw it in... The smugglers. We saw the smugglers. We saw, we saw it in the, pretty much all of her stories. We saw it in Tempest. We saw it in War Machines. We saw like I think with the um, Underwater Menace and Power of the Daleks, 
are probably the the only two stories where there's no real drive on her behalf to the plot. Yeah. And this is another one. Because if you take out... My thing with a character is if you took them out entirely, what did they contribute? Now, we've said that not every character has to contribute in every episode. This mm-hmm. is true. We discussed this last week with Jamie. But when you reduce the character to just the screamer... Yeah. And the screaming doesn't drive the plot. You have a problem. Because if you take it... So Polly's major screaming moment is obviously with the macro. Though she screams and gives out and... Help me, help me, help me for the rest of the story. But if you take out the big central piece, which is with the macro... It doesn't change the plot. Because Ben denied that it ever happened. So it doesn't change anything. No. And it's, it's a case of like, you know, old girl who cried wolf and that's kind of left as it is and it, it's a shame because like I, I, it, it just feels like that when it comes to the female companions ever since Barbara we've been on an actual you know up down up down up down in terms of their performance which is a shame because we had such amazing consistency from Barbara throughout yeah. I, I, I miss that I, I miss that in a female companion you know and I thought we had that with Polly we, we, we did, did we discussed it with such a relief yeah, to have it, Polly and even in power like she didn't have any plot driving moments in power but, but she wasn't bad no because like we, we as we said at power uh, we're discussing loads of other stories except this one we were said in power her purpose and Ben's purpose uh, were to establish Patrick Troughton as the new version of the Doctor and yep. she does that very well yep. so I, I would say probably until the moon base we had consistency of good performances from Polly. Until the Underwater Menace, you mean? Sorry, yeah, Underwater Menace. Because we had uh, War Machines, Smugglers, Ten Planet, Power, and Highlanders. All great stories. Should have been all of them. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you need a story that, like, sometimes you need screams in a story. We're not opposed to having screams in a story. For anyone who thinks that we're opposed to the very human reaction of screaming your head off when you encounter a 15-foot crab thing, we're not, by any stretch of the imagination. But it helps when that's counterbalanced with yeah. at least one strong non-screaming moment. As I made the comparison when Darren spooked the shit out of me, I went, ah, fuck, and I just kicked at him. Yeah. <laughs> so it was sort of a screaming moment, but I got my revenge. Yeah. And he'll never listen to this, so he can't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how about we move on to the last of the trio? Yeah, so we have Jamie. What did you think of Jamie? So, because of this story, I think we mentioned it, for me, Jamie is slowly becoming the companion in this grouping. Yeah. Um, kind of similar in the way that Vicky was kind of taking up that mantle in her, you know, affecting some of the Doctor's mannerisms and having that sort of relationship with him. Here we have Jamie, like, again, that scene that's removed in the the pampering room it, it bugs me because it's actually a really good scene for Jamie uh, it's really good for Fraser Hines as well because he acts very boyish and stuff and <laughs> um, but here it's like he actually does kind of t- take on some of the doctor's mannerisms like you know like trying to dance his way out of trouble and um, because you know just like the whole kind of distraction u- using distractions and stuff like that to get the keys and escape and like he shows that without Ben around, he's more than capable of taking up the slack of the action man role. 
despite the would you consider his origin his timeline origin to be a handicap for him in futuristic settings no and this story in particular highlights why that's not yeah but, that, but that's what i mean is in the sense of like you would you would have you could potentially have the the notion that it would be a handicap but this story dis- disproves that but I, it's I, I no don't... more a handicap to him than it is to ben yeah I would say Ben probably has a bit more of an advantage due to the gap in technology from... Because we mentioned it before about the differences of how Katarina would handle something versus Jamie would handle something. Yeah, but that's only really represented in the fact that the show was made in the 60s. So yeah. all of the technology, even the futuristic stuff, yeah. was built in the 60s. Yeah, true, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, like, um, look, I'm, I'm loving Ben. Another, I'm sorry, but I'm loving Ben. But I'm, I'm loving Jamie uh, more and more as the, the show goes on. And like again, Fraser Hines is cementing the legacy of the character of Jamie. And here we also have a test of the McCrimmon effect, where it's like, how powerful are these fifteen fucking foot crabs? It's like, oh, fair enough. They nearly tore a Highlander in half. Um, but I, I like it as well. You know, um, I you know the whole thing about not giving into the subliminal messaging and actually being also very kind of wise in the sense of. Like trying to convince the doctor that no, you would actually be more beneficial up here because you have a better understanding of this stuff rather than me and Polly. Yeah. For me, I think so the stories that we've had up until now with Jamie. So we've had the Highlanders were for a lot of it who was kind of a secondary mm-hmm. tertiary character. Um he wasn't a character of focus in that story. Unlike with Ben and Polly in the War Machines. There's a very big difference between the roles that they played mm-hmm. in their first stories. Um, then we had the Underwater Menace, where he fit in very well with Ben, but he really was a duo in that. Yeah. Then we have the Moon Base, where he was unconscious for two episodes, <laughs> and then really didn't do a whole lot with the other two. Um... And now we have this. So for me, this is really Jamie's coming into his own story. And I like the fact that it's a futuristic story as well. It's not contemporary. It's or historical. It's futuristic because while it's not the strongest performance ever, it is a really good performance. And we get to see him in a futurized setting, thinking for himself and being himself. And that's the thing that I like about Jamie is Jamie doesn't hide from the fact that he is from the 18th century. He that, that that's he doesn't hide from that. You know, so when he hears weird fucking voices in his room, it wakes him the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because what the shit is that? The spirit the spirits are after me or some other highland yeah, folktale. Everything from, like, he takes what he knows from folktales and from his period in history he applies what he can and then like it means he takes nothing at face value mm-hmm. do you know like you have ben saying oh it's fine whatever go back to sleep and he's like no no no, no. there was a creepy fucking voice what the shit was that and he won't let it go and because of that he was able to resist the mind control yeah whereas ben wasn't and the other thing that I really like is how defensive he is of 
the Doctor and Polly. Yeah. Um, very similar to Ian, I imagine. Um, you know, if Ian were in that situation, we imagine that his reaction would be quite the same, where he's like, you can't send an old man and a girl into a mine. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> like, his yeah. idea of, I'll go. I'll go, no problem. Those two fucking stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he eventually explains to the doctor that he'd be of more use or whatever, but his initial thing was, are you fucking taking the piss sending an old man yeah, and a woman? No. Some could call that sexist, whatever. It's just part of who he is. It's where he's from, right? Yeah. Sending an old man and a woman into a mine. And just his reaction is just like, no. like. But I wouldn't even, even say it's sexist. It's more so kind of a savior mentality in the sense of no one wants their friends to suffer while they can bear the brunt of the suffering themselves. I think it's also like, bearing in mind the time, it's just, it's just chivalry. Yeah. He's a very chivalrous person. Yeah. And that's his nature. I think as well, his protectiveness of Polly is very cute. Like he's always like, he had, in the story a lot, there's a lot of, keep your eye open Polly, I'm not quite sure and I'll take care of you Polly and I'll protect you or whatever. And it comes across in a very brotherly way. Yeah. Like you you don't ever get the sense because Ben and Polly have been established as Ben and Polly, a duo, Mm. potentially romantically. From their first story, right? That that was their interaction, and you don't ever get the sense that Jamie is trying to woo Polly. I don't think he'd say no if she offered. Yeah, I think he's got a small bit of a crush, but he's but because of his because the fucking thing is skipped, we know that he's not the type to pursue it. Yeah, yeah, and so I think his defensiveness and protective. Protect, protective nature of her mm-hmm. comes across as very brotherly yeah do you know mm-hmm. the sort of <laughs> the way i think of it is now i'm not equating ben to ron weasley because that's not fair on ben but if you imagine the trio of harry ron and hermione yeah in the later books and the later movies mm. harry and hermione are very defensive of each other in a sort of sibling protective way and i think jamie is very similar in that again in both cases i think if the girl offered they'd both say yeah but <laughs> you know so we've now done star wars star trek battle star stargate we've got the stars of the way now harry potter has entered into the comparative equation there'll be another one in a minute i'm just saying that right now there's another one coming up <laughs> cool all right uh any more thoughts on jamie no um overall i think fantastic sh- Fantastic, fantastic story, fantastic story, <laughs> fantastic <Jamie>. showing from <laughs> young McCrimmon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and hey, he got to get a Highland reel in there, so you know, absolutely, or Highland fantastic. jig. I, I can't remember what the difference is between a jig and a reel. Uh, no, I think it's a, I think it was a reel that he was doing, but then again, we don't actually see it because you know, uh, unfortunately, it would cost too much to animate. So we, well, he, he does a little bit of yeah. jumping, jumping, Morris dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to our story-based companions so mm-hmm. we have two mm-hmm. one of whom actually both of whom go through a sort of against you with you type yeah um, so the first is Medoc. Mm-hmm. i think it's a shame that he had to die off screen i agree um my first my first notes for him are just poor bastard yeah um, because he's an incredibly strong character. And yeah, it's like, and clearly, like he's clearly well liked 
in yeah. the colony. He he's not like you know like oh there goes fucking tinfoil Medoc again type shit you know. Yeah, like people like uh, you know obviously there's very Stepford brain control mm. thing about the colony, but you know no one ever says you know Medoc was always like this. Like you even have the moment where he's being brought to the crowd and some of the crowd says, "No, I worked with him. Let yeah. me try and speak to him." And that says a lot about him. Do you know, and I would have loved to see him survive and become part of the leadership of the colony with oh, the pilot. Yeah, like I, I think I have that in my notes, so please again stay out of my notes because otherwise <laughs> it just looks like we're like mimicking each other. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, One word for you, buddy. What? Ditto. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, fuck it. <laughs> It worked then, it works now. <laughs> and if you don't like it, fuck yeah. Um, you know, I, I really know, again, he's a great character because, you know, he's not a loony. Like he's, he's not like that outsider character. He's clearly, you know, someone that... I would be very curious to know what his position in the colony was prior to the start of the story. Yeah. Um, well, because clearly, you know, he's... I don't think being made the leader of the Danger Gang is... Like a job that they give to someone that they just want to kill, you know. Um, so I was very interested in that when it comes to the killing him off screen, I think it actually serves no purpose because the way that it's done in the animation. No, I'm not sure what it's done. There's no indication as to how it's done in the actual reconstructions, but it's like that thing of where he looks behind him and all of a sudden the camera, which is meant to represent the macro, lunges at him. It serves no purpose because we already know what the macro looked like. Yeah. If they had remained, if they had remained hidden until now, then they'd be like, "Ooh, this is kind of terrifying." But it's like, no, we know exactly what they are, so there's no spook factor here. I think the only purpose it serves, and I mean, it being off screen, you know, you can't have too much gruesome stuff on. Yeah. What is fundamentally a kids' program on, on Australian television. <laughs> <laughs> or on Australian TV. Um I, I think what it was meant to prove is that the macro can kill and that they will kill. Um so that, that's probably the the purpose it served in the story, but I think from just the way they approach things that was kind of implied already. Yeah. Like I, I just thought like not what maybe it's a question, how do they kill? Do they turn them into ooze? Do they snap them in half? Do they gobble them up and then turn them into ooze? Who knows? Um, do they just crush them like a big cl- with their big claw and he just becomes a pile of ooze? Absolutely. Nutcracker. <laughs> also, uh, he became green ooze. Yeah. I I don't know. Something very... Uh, I'm just trying to think like, if like, there's some show where like people just turn into orange blobs and they just puddle out like when they get... I can't remember what it is. But... Uh, <laughs> One thing that I, I thought was interesting is the fact that he's very... He seems to resist the brainwashing of the correction facility with no detrimental effects to his sanity. Slight paranoia. Well, I, I would say that the paranoia... Understandable. <laughs> smidgen. Yeah, well, I would say that the paranoia comes more so from the fact that like, you know, there seems to be this blatant, complete, like, um, ostrich-like, head-in-the-sand mentality mm. towards the concept of the macra. Anyone would be fucking paranoid over that. <laughs> yeah, I think what what really stood out for me with Medoc is he could have very easily, I think, played along. Mm. 
He could have gone through the correction facility and played at being happy. Yeah. And he chose not to. Knowing where they would put him. And even with where he was put, he still gives 100%. You know, there is a gas leak and he's immediately on it. I think that really speaks to how strong he is as a person. Yeah, he's for the colony. Hmm. Probably more so than... I think the only person that probably rivals his for the colony-ness is Pilot. Hmm. Who doesn't have a name. He's just Pilot. As Pilot is his name. Like Officia. Yep. (laughs) What's your name? Richard Richard. (laughs) (laughs) Um... One thing about the House of Correction thing, because they couldn't break Nidoc, I'm just imagining the, like the Monty Python Spanish Inquisition, you know, the the comfy chair and the the, the pillows used at the fluffy end, all this type of stuff. Um, do I want to pilot next? Yeah, so not my favourite pilot, because he doesn't have a connection with a living ship called Moya. No. That was the other reference. Ah, cool. So we have now brought in Farscape. Excellent. Which I'll be yeah. starting, which I'll actually be starting soon, because... Uh, I finished one show that I was watching, so I'm now going to go to another show. Farscape um, is great. There's a guy. From the five or six episodes I watched of Farscape years ago, it feels like an RPG. Yeah. It's yeah. an RPG with Muppets mm-hmm. in space. And there's also an Australian link because it's done by an Australian company in, in cohesion with uh, Jim, Jim Henson. Uh, Pilot. I like Pilot because... Unlike some other characters that we have viewed as villains by association or villains by association or heroes that start off as villains by association, I didn't actually ever view him as a villain hero. I think Pilot is a villain by circumstance, just based purely on his role as Pilot. Mm. Do you know? Um, So approving of them going to the work gang approving of whatever but it's purely just because of his position yeah do you know like there's no pleasure derived from it so it, I, I think pilot is probably the definition of villain by circumstance and it's not even just because of his position in the colony it's because he's being mind controlled <laughs> yeah exactly um also the, the colony clearly isn't the fucking ship. Why is he called Pilot? It doesn't move. It's a stationary building. <laughs> I wonder, because like, Pilot is his title. They don't call him anything else. Pilot is his title. He is... they, don't, they don't even refer to him as the. They just call him Pilot or send him to Pilot. In this thing. Well, yeah, but, but then later on, Ben says that they want the doctor to become Pilot. Yeah. They obviously don't mean to become the man himself. So clearly it's a position. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and he just doesn't have a relationship with anyone to call him by his first name. Yeah. Um, but I think what makes him an interesting character is, like I said, he's very much for the colony. Yeah. And he is, within their current mentally fuckery structure, mm-hmm. he is a very good leader for the colony. Yeah. Um. I do question how effective he will be on his own without a big voice from the sky telling him what to do or a big face from a screen. But I think we see enough of him after he finds out about the macro that 
he'd probably pick it up really quickly. One thing that I'm kind of, it's just, I was going to say, I think he would have been effective. But one thing that's, uh, again, I suppose really isn't answered uh, at any stage is the controller is based on a real person who we then see is like later disheveled and aged possibly because of like the trauma that he's gone through but like what is pilot the second in command of the thing as such or is controller or is the controller of um someone that's made up by the macra and is just gaslighted they literally gaslight people into the in this story um, very literally yeah um i always took it that controller was the predominant mm-hmm. leader because if the people want the doctor to be pilot what's pilot going to do <laughs> clearly they want him to move up to be the ultimate leader of the colony because otherwise that's a fucking dick move the guy yeah. is standing right there <laughs> you can't just say you want to huff him out of his job and give it to somebody else <laughs> like what the uh. fuck um, yeah, so I think the controller was a real person. I think it was a real position in the mm. colony. And I think it's only after the macra became involved that that position became a remote mm. position. And communication was done purely through the screen. Cool. That, that's my read of it anyway. Right. Maybe the novelization would uh, reveal more secrets. Maybe. Yeah. Another one for the list. Mm. So, we're on to the villains now. So, do we want to do like the human based and then move on to the macro? Or do you want yeah. to do the macro? Okay. So, we have Officia and Ola. Uh, with Officia, I don't see him as. like I think he's a villain of circumstance. A villain. Hey, you said it before. I didn't comment on it, so. <laughs> Um, he's a bad guy <laughs> okay <laughs> he's a bad guy by circumstance um, but I get the impression that he's also like Lesterson and he's the type of scientist that doesn't really care about the consequences of some of his actions I I, I didn't get that I'll be honest mm. um, so well maybe I think it was just the, the sort of the gleeful nature I picked up on him in the way that he interacts with like the doctor and a few of the others yeah so my thing with him is because I was, originally I was a little bit again we've discussed it before I was a little bit confused as to why you included him um, as a character for discussion because I think like Pilot and Ola who we'll get to in a minute he is very much a villain by circumstance in that he is brainwashed. He is brainwashed and he is being told what to do by control. But he walks the very fine line between those two other characters where Pilot wanted what's best for the colony. Oh, well, I will talk about it in a minute of a funny feeling you got a similar read on him than I was. That He's like the mm. other end of that extreme. Yeah. I think Officia just followed whatever the controller said without a personal stake in it i don't think we see enough of him personally and and maybe you saw differently but i didn't see enough of him to get a sense on who he would be without the controller talking him through because like when the controller is like 
pump all of this gas into the old mine. There's no questioning it whatsoever. It's just the controller said, so I will do. Yeah, like, see, I got a strange reading them in the sense of like that. I, because I've been watching a lot of the US office at the moment, he kind of reminds me of the character of Dwight in the sense of like, you know, while he isn't ostensibly a bad person, he doesn't, you know, shrink at the possibility of fucking showing some bit of authority over people, you know? True, but again, with Officia, the way he's presented to me, Mm. how much of that is his brainwashing? How much of that is you are to control this aspect, the people in the pit don't matter, the people in the pit are expendable, the people in the pit because you don't know how much of that was bred into him, like, as in Mm. forced into him and I personally, I because we don't really see, I don't see any glee from him. One way or the other. Do you know what would kind of help form my opinion on this? The if actual we, actor's reaction. No, if we had had a scene of where pilot weighs in on the, the worth of the people in the mine. Yeah. Because. I'm judging this now all completely off Ola and Officia's viewpoint of anyone that's been sentenced to the mine. Whereas with Pilot, we never see that. Mm. And I think had he had that moment, that would probably give that would probably give a definitive read into Officia's stance, whether as he is a villain or whether he's a character of no consequence or whether he's uh, could go into the potential. Well, no, like he, I, I wouldn't consider him to be a companion in this. No. So whether he would be a villain or a character of no consequence. So my read was that he's a character of no consequence, mm-hmm. but I can understand how you got, yeah, villain in there as well. Yeah, I I think like again, with the missing stories, there's a whole lot to unpack and there's a whole lot to discuss that we could like be here like for fucking hours, <laughs> uh, which we're Jesus, I think we're <laughs> we're coming up to that time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what we can definitely agree on is the next person is Ola. Yeah. So Ola. So all of the humans, mm-hmm. all of the humans yeah. <laughs> in power are villains by circumstance. It, it, yeah. It's just because of the brainwashing, it's a given. Ola, for me, was the only one. And I do wonder if part of this is how they drew him. Yeah. They did draw him very sort of Genghis Khan from Mulan with the pointy teeth. Um uh, not Genghis Khan. What the fuck is his name? Shaoyun. Shaoyun, that's the one. Why did I think Genghis Khan? Because it's China and you know invasions and it's not quite Mongols but Huns and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but you know they they drew him with the pointy teeth and I know I think that that character actually has that disparity. I think where like, there's a gap in the well, teeth. Not not the gap, but his actual like they emphasized his canines a bit. Oh okay. I didn't um, actually notice that. I just thought like, he, he looked way too kind of dick dastardly the whole time. Yeah. But you kind of get the sense that Ola would be the same even without the brainwashing. I think if he actually saw what the macro looked like, he'd actually still work with them so long as he was given the role of administrative figurehead. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I think, think he's a bit of a dick. Yeah. He's like... Um, uh I get the impression he'd be like your man Ellis from Die Hard, which is like, okay, you're a terrorist. I'll work with you. What's this? You want to shoot me in the head? Oh, dear. <laughs> like, the the reason why I say that is, mm-hmm. okay, A, again, we don't know what level of brainwashing he has had. 
So he's exposed to the most people talking about the macra. Yeah. And he denies it all. Mm. No, no. We don't know how much brainwashing he has undergone to be able to set all that aside time and again and again and again. Right. But when he gets promoted to being in charge, he's fucking loving it. Yeah, absolutely. That like, can that is not brainwashed. I, I that don't think is just him. <laughs> I don't think there's any love lost between himself and Pilot. Well, definitely not between him and Pilot. Maybe Pilot might feel a bit sad that you know someone he thought of as a work colleague <laughs> is up to fuck mm. him over. Um, one thing I want to ask though, given the kind of gaiety and jovial nature of the colony with the, you know, their jingly music and their marching bands, mm. all this type of stuff, did you think that the necessity for such a militant security force seems a small bit? kind of contrary to the whole ethos of the colony or again is that just the influence of the macro i think it's the influence of the macro (laughs) do you know that so this story reminded me of a few things right Mm -hmm. and i'll get to most of them in my overall but one thing that it reminded me of in terms of this happy gay in terms of happy um colony experience right yeah is justice from star trek next generation where you have this perfect colony where everyone runs and frolics and hugs and you get the sense that's lots of sex um you don't get the sense it's more or less it's more or less just here here are my clothes take them off please yeah um but yeah if you break a rule you die yeah don't don't try on the flower beds don't tread on the floor beds, Wesley. Um, and it's this thing of, in order to maintain such a happy and forced happy environment, hmm. you have to remove all yeah. opposition to that. All and, undesirable elements of society. Yeah. And to do that, particularly with the macro and the background overseeing things, you need a strong task force. Yeah. You need a strong deterrent, basically. Yeah. And also, because I've been watching a lot of tabletop recently, and Will Wheaton admits that he is shite at football, I think they wrote the episode around Will, uh, Will Wheaton falling into a flower bed. While <laughs> playing sports. <laughs> I was going to say, he says that he's bad at football. They were playing baseball. <laughs> sports, in general. <laughs> Go local sports team. Um, so now, the macro. The giant crabs. Oh. Watching this, every time they appear on screen, all I had in my head was crab people, crab people look like crabs and they talk like people from South Park. That's all I fucking had. Um, I think the animation did them a lot more, did a lot more for them than the actual production of the story would have done. I very um, much agree. Because otherwise, it like look, it's a kind of a B movie concept of a giant insect or amph- not crustacean yeah I was going to say amphibian but they're not crustacean haha that's what watching the little mermaid on fucking repeat gets you <laughs> um, like so I think had we watched it back then or had we actually seen the existing thing they probably would have fallen into that category whereas with the updated animation they're a lot more imposing they're more like kind of Starship Trooper-esque level of creepy villain yeah so the thing for me right is Oh my god, the giant crabs. Um, the script doesn't really match the visuals in some respects. 
No. Um, we discussed how they're described as insect-like. People describe that they, oh, they're like a giant bacteria. And you're like, no. Like, no. Um, my question is, they clearly need this gas to survive. Mm-hmm. Right? It presumably f- forms part of their atmosphere that they need to survive. Do they need to control the humans in order to have access to it? Like, they're clearly highly intelligent and they have the ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of hoping that someone. I, I don't, I don't think that's. I don't think it's necessary. Sorry. I don't think it's necessary the ability to speak, but I think they have probably a low key telepathic field that they use machines to amplify. Well, communicate then. Oh, yeah, communicate, yeah. And I'm very sorry for cutting across you. They have the ability to communicate. And is it wrong with me that I really wanted someone to propose a non violent solution to the problem? Like, the the feeling I got was that the macra were here first. Yeah. And the humans came along, changed the atmosphere mm. to make it hap- habitable for them. The macro went underground and then needed to go deeper and deeper and so had to get the humans to help them to mine deeper and deeper to get the gas. So I kind of wanted someone to sort of treat the macra as sentient beings as opposed to because they're just treated like an infestation at the end do you want this is kind of having a small kind of shades of uh, our discussion about the arc with the monoids mm. in terms of like how they were taken advantage of and then it was like you reap what you sow kind of thing and they but here it's the thing where like the human um, intrusion isn't aware of the macra and I think it would have been a, I think it would have been an interesting concept had you know the doctor called for look clearly there's some sort of symbiotic relationship going here as opposed to parasitic maybe symbiotic, um, but I think again because of how strong the brainwashing aspect was of the macro side of things, and when the head macro is. Um, like you know speaking as the leader how hysterically he gets in order to maintain the subterfuge mm. it, it, look it could be very well potential of where like the offer to sign some sort of a treaty or agreement would have been shot down by the macra but it's At also which... entirely possible that like the reason why the macra are so hidden mm. is because when the humans first discovered them they did try to wipe them out yeah we don't know. I don't think we get enough of where they came from. To be honest, what, I really, what part of me wanted them to be like was flashback now for anyone listening to the original My Little Pony cartoon <laughs> series. There was an episode which I loved as a kid. This particular, I think it came on a video that me and Neil had. There was an episode where these crabs go through the valley and destroy everything. And everyone's like, oh my god, the crabs are evil. And they lock the crabs away in a tomb. And you find out later that the crabs were actually the good guys. And they were trying to catch some renegade plants. It's My Little Pony, right? But the whole (laughs) idea was that don't judging things by appearances. That was the whole point of 
the story right was don't mm. judge things by appearances i think what i kind of wanted it to be don't judge things by appearances the macra were being exterminated they found a way to control the humans so they gave the humans a perfect life happy everyone has a purpose everyone has joy and they get the gas that they need and so i kind of Personally, I kind of I thought that would have been an interesting way of doing it. No, like I, 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 I think I would watch that story. All right, like I'm not going to discount the the notion that you know there's potential, like they're not like a hundred percent evil or anything like that. Um, I think I won't say it would have made for a more interesting story, but it definitely would have made for like potentially like you know, like maybe that concept of what you're saying there could be transported to a different story that doesn't involve like say 15 foot crabs but a much more um like a different a different species or something like that um, yeah i think it would make for a more complex story yeah there we go um no i actually didn't think about that to be honest with you because again i just had like the whole fucking crab people stuck in my head and yeah, I think it's a thing where like these beings clearly have sentience do you know mm-hmm and they have an ability to communicate and that ability is not leveraged by our heroes at all mm. and they describe them as a parasite yeah and as essentially a bacteria that needs to be removed mm. yeah because like i suppose if you think about it going way back now the web planet the doctor knew that the animus was the the villain not the zarbi themselves mm-hmm. so Oh, interesting. Again, we we reach a very interesting viewpoint when we come to discuss the story. But yeah, they're giant crabs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, a character discussion that offered a lot more than I think we thought both of us thought. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, we originally wanted these to be an hour long. Yeah, we were maybe, so maybe. naive. We were so naive. Well, like, look, it's us. We could fucking talk for Ireland, um, and we do. Yeah, we do. How many times that we like you? Know, so myself and Trish used to play in a role playing group. Um, again, to further along the time, the running time of this, we used to play in a role playing group, and the group would run for hours. And then we would walk back to our apartment, which was roughly about, I want to say, what, five miles away? Mm. Yeah. And we'd talk, you know, discussing stuff about, like, be it either the game or just nerd stuff in general. So we walk these five miles. And then we'd probably talk another hour or two afterwards. So, yeah, we have a tendency to ramble on. Uh, but back to this, anyway. So we now come to the overall. And do you want to go first, or will I go first? Uh... I'll go first. Cool. Um, overall, I think the idea for this story was good. Yeah. Um, it had some interesting ideas with Ben being brainwashed. That was done a lot better than it was in War Machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and him turning against everyone else. The controller character was very Equilibrium or V for Vendetta. Oh, he, he, he's very Big Brother. He's very 1984 type thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, actually, the whole the whole story reminded me very much of Equilibrium. Yeah. Um, which is a really good film. If you haven't seen it. And it's got a Doctor Who connection. Mm-hmm. 
and you know this idea of everyone you know and obviously in that story it's you're not allowed to have emotion you're not meant to have emotion but it's very much this everyone has to meet this standard and you have this father voice Mm. telling you what to do again very big brother and the whole idea of the mind control in the colony i thought all of that was very interesting however for some reason i didn't get as into it as i would have thought i would because like i love Viva vendetta i love equilibrium i thought the idea of ben being brainwashed was fantastic jamie is his strongest he has been up to now and yet the story itself didn't really pull me in i think at several points i thought it was rushed and i jumped from one idea to the next without very much connectivity Mm-hmm. And that that may have been an animation choice. I don't quite know. I I don't think so. I think it's actually the the nature of the production. I think yeah. it's, I think it was the nature of the like because like how many other stories have we written like so as like long term listeners will know. Uh, I when I'm doing the reviews, I try and make it a bit more cohesive. I try and eliminate some of the jump cuts because sometimes they're just literally one two three four one two three four. Uh, Whereas here, I think it again, it's a case of it's actually the way that it was originally presented. Yeah. So, I that might just be me though. Okay. And my preference. Mm-hmm. You know. So, for me, the concept is good. If you're watching it now, you're going to be watching the animated version, which obviously you get to see the macra in a better way. Yeah. You know. And you do have access to some of those missing things if you want to watch the reconstructed parts or whatever. But it didn't keep me engaged. And Polly, this was a a bad show by Polly. So for me, it was a three. I think the concept alone kept it high. Um, You know... I was considering, like, would I give it, like, half marks? And I was like, no, because the concept, the concept was good. And maybe it's just my personal preference that I couldn't get into it. So for me, it's a three. Cool. All right. My score is partially based on this premise. Doctor Who, sorry, the Doctor takes on a crab infestation. I, was, I think I got into about episode 2 when I made this realisation and I fucking pissed myself laughing for about 15 minutes I, 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 I just like I was like that's what it is like, it's just the doctor takes on a giant crab infestation um, I like the concept of like I, I agree okay the concept of like the macro like the big crabs or whatever the case is like, I, I like big monsters but this is a small bit silly in this regards had they been a bit more in terms of like maybe like in the web plant size things, you know, like where they had been a more comparable size mm. then or even smaller, whatever the case is, you could literally have head crabs from like uh, Half-Life. I like it probably would have been a bit more engaging in that regards. Uh, like, again, again, I agree with you. The concept is great. The concept of a native life manipulating a colony to suit its own needs and there's the whole mind you know the brainwashing mind fuckery companions affected all that it's great can't michael craze's performance in this great fantastic 
as, as we said, probably one of his strongest performances as Ben. I lose the points for just the the nature of the macro, as I said, uh, and also Polly's handling in this story. Not a huge fan of it. Don't really like it at all. I know, in fact, I, I just think it fucking sucks. <laughs> so I decided to, uh, but again, like there's the solid performances by Jamie McCrimmon, the Tree Lads, by Patrick Trouton, uh, Fraser Hines, and Michael Craze. A genuinely cool character in the in the form of Medoc and the pilot. I like them. Uh, Gertan uh, Clover as Ola, I think is great. He's so menacing. He's again that type of character that whenever he's on screen, uh, there's going to be some fucking wrench thrown into the plan. So that was great. So I decided, look, I'm just going to split it right down the middle. Uh, I'm going to give this a two point five. And I would definitely recommend to people that. Having the animation is great because it helps the story. Like for people that are finding it difficult to get through the missing stories, animation, visual movement, it does help. But I would definitely recommend listening to the reconstructions at some point or watching the reconstructions because you get to see uh, Michael Craze's facial perform uh, facial performances with the snapshots into some of those scenes. But you also get to see those two missing scenes, which I think add a lot to this. Yeah. And again, that didn't impact my score. It's just a off the offshoot recommendation yeah i i would agree to that recommendation um i think this is one of the i need to check my notes this is one of the rare times where you scored harder than i have yeah um it, it doesn't always happen it happened in 10th planet as well actually it, it did uh you gave it like what a go four and a half four and a half and i gave it four um and it was i think that might have been something else Probably way back in the early days, you know, before the Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're looking at the scores now, aren't you? I am, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. (laughs) This Um, is one of those times I was meaner than you were. Yeah, like it's incredibly rare that I I, I think the gunfighters. I think the gunfighters, like I was, like fucking flat close to a zero. (laughs) Yeah, gunfighters, gunfighters, you were not point five. But usually, I'm the hypercritical yeah bitch <laughs> <laughs> I don't Sandra, mean to be it's just this is who I am Macro Tower Lover Sandra angry that her's the petty this time <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is the end of the Macro Tower for now it is indeed so join us next week when we'll be discussing the faceless ones I wonder what they're going to look like <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say one thing about this season they're doing yeah. fairly well on their titles yeah their titles like, are very intriguing absolutely like like i think everything has been like fairly i think with like, the exception of the highlanders everything yeah. has been very kind of like guardians mm. the power of the daleks but what does the power of the daleks actually mean is it literally oh here's their plug-in source you know they take double a batteries <laughs> um <sighs> They fight for the benefits of chicken penne arabiata. That is the that is a running joke of this season. That fucking cause for fighting. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah. we will speak to you next week. Bye for now, guys. Bye bye. Bye.